Hello friends and hello gamers. Today's guest is Noel Serato. Noel is a software developer with State Farm. He has been helping out a lot and has a lot of his focus in AI. Noel is also the founder of MetaBirds, a Web3 based game on the Ethereum platform that is Mario Kart meets Flappy Bird. I have worked for Noel for about the last nine months, learned a lot, got to do a lot of cool things, been in a lot of experiences, a lot of partnerships, collabs. It's been a lot of fun. So I thought it'd be a great guest to have on the podcast because from our conversations over the last few months, we've had a lot of interesting talks around AI. Noel knows a lot about AI. He works a lot with AI at State Farm. And so I wanted to have this conversation with him because I thought he had a lot of really interesting ideas and could hopefully help out a lot of up-and-coming designers, developers, Web3 game creators to figure out the path for their game going forward. I also want to note, you may hear me ask questions to Noel that seem really silly. You're like, oh, you're asking about computers in the game. You're asking questions about the game you've been working on for nine months. Do you really know anything about it? I just want to make it known that these questions are asked for the audience. You know, these are things I know, but you don't know about it if you've never heard of the game. So there's a certain way I'll ask questions on this podcast that it may seem like I have no idea what I'm talking about. And when I don't, I will be fully honest about that. But really, it's just a way for me to get the information out for people who've never heard of the topic or maybe the project and don't have any inkling of an idea about it. And this way you can lay things out from beginning to end. So I hope that clarifies things a bit. So I hope you find this conversation as valuable and as interesting as I did. My name is Matthew, and this is the Web3 Gamer. Tired of keeping up appearances with the friends, tired of having to talk to people, go to meetings, go to work, just live your life? Well, with the new AI Me, we can help develop yourself into an AI computer. Nobody will even know you're not there. It'll do your job for you, keep up your marriage, talk to all your friends, go to hangouts. That way, you can just do whatever you want. You know, laze at home, drink a beer, eat some chips, let the AI control your life. AI.me is not responsible for any tyrannical overlord qualities that come out of your AI personality and choose to overthrow you and replace you in your life. You're here with the Web3 Gamer. I'm here talking with uh, Noel Serato, the founder of MetaBirds, Inc. Noel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for your time. And we're going to be discussing AI specifically in Web3 gaming. So, I mean, Noel, if you want to get into it, tell people a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do, how you got into AI. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, uh, Matthew. It's, it's always been good working with you. Um, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of my background. Um, so software engineer, um, also marketer, I've uh, been working in the, um, been working in the startup space for quite some years Been programming since I was 12, fun fact. And now I'm 25 years old. I work at, uh, currently work at State Farm. Um, and I started quite a few companies since, uh, since 20, let's say 2016, 2016, 2017, I started doing a lot of startups, but uh, what got me into AI um, and specifically Web3 Gaming was back in 2021. Um, I had a, had a one of my business partners was telling me that we were doing some cryptocurrency. Uh, we're doing a cryptocurrency project. And he was telling me, hey, we should start our own cryptocurrency. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I was like, it's a good learning process for me to kind of understand how Web3 and smart contracts work. 
So we kind of dove into there, did a couple projects, um, made some money, and um, we really hit a huge success when we helped one of these uh, one of these founders of this other coin. Uh, we helped them launch using some of the experience that we have launching some other tokens. Uh, we helped him launch, and he took what he learned from our team, and he did it on a whole other scale. He was able to raise like $10 million in like a week. So he did whatever we did times like a thousand <laughs> and he proved it to be really successful. We helped him out with a little bit with the launch, uh, locking his liquidity. He pulled me in the day of launch saying, Hey, can you help me? Can you help me with these funds? I'm not really sure how to, how to manage these. And so I was like, yeah, sure, sure. So we jumped in. It's kind of weird dealing with that much money. But anyways, we, uh, we made some good profits from that, from that, uh, that project. And I took a lot of that, profit that I made back in 2021 end of 2021 and I moved it over to Metabirds so it was around 75 to like a hundred thousand dollars that I took and I could have bought a house could have uh, probably moved out of my parents um, but instead I decided I was like you know what I'm just gonna throw it into a dream and that dream was uh, Metabirds and so Metabirds is a mobile uh, Flappy Bird uh, multiplayer version um, game that can be played on web and uh, web and mobile and so what it allows you to do is it allows you to play flappy bird essentially like a flappy bird style game endless runner tapper screen type game and it lets you play with other friends and you guys are basically racing to a finish line whoever gets there first wins you earn some points earn some xp and so that was the goal so we started that back in uh, 2021 november that's when i poured a lot of the money into it um, started up with the sketches started up with uh, getting all the key players that we needed in there um, brought some people in to do a lot of the artwork. Um, and we brought a lot of people into, I brought an advisor in, brought a CMO in, chief marketing officer. And then I started building up a team of, uh, a team of at least 10 to 30 people to help kind of bring this vision into a reality. And so, you know, with a lot of hard work and, uh, just working day and night, uh, we finally had a good go to market strategy. It's come January. We actually were able to go and get uh, Kevin O'Leary to actually do a little, uh, little excerpt, or I guess a little paid endorsement for us. And so we, we of course, it was a paid endorsement, which means we had to pay him to actually do it. So he didn't just do it out of, <laughs> out of, um, out of just luck. But we, we were able to actually pay him to do the endorsement for us as a little video shout out, where he's shouting out the video game, and we put that on our website. We started getting um, sales. We started marketing it out, and over time we realized that we started building up at least uh, we started building a profit through this uh, pre-sale process that we did. And so this pre-sale, we were one of the first ones to ever accept credit cards for, uh, for buying an NFT. And so the way MetaBirds worked is it's a collection of 10,000, um, 10,000 MetaBird uh, uh, basically characters that you can play with inside of the game. And so basically the idea is that you can purchase an in-game character and that in-game character you can then play inside of our game and you would purchase each one of these for at least around $400. So we uh, spent a lot of the money that we had made from the previous project and we spent a lot of it on advertising and marketing. So our whole team created some really cool uh, Facebook ads and some other stuff. We threw it out there and um, we did a lot of paid endorsements for um, some other celebrities. We reached out to them on Instagram. We actually caught some beef with a famous NFL player, Antonio Brown. Uh, kind of screwed us over in a way we lost a lot of money with him. Long story short, we lost some money. We gained some money. Uh, we ended up making around, uh, we made over 150000 to to almost 200000 that month. However, we 
reinvested a lot of that money back into our business to actually start developing the game. And then we realized that, hey, we actually had a lot of legal issues that we had to deal with copyright. We didn't have a lawyer, uh, a lot of things. I brought an advisor on board and he kind of said, hey, you got to get your crap together, man. You're making a lot of money. Let's, let's try to figure, let's figure out all the legal legalities. So once we got all that figured out, it's now February. Um, we were launching the game. We're supposed to launch publicly on February 12th. However, we had a lot of copyright and some other issues. So we brought the lawyer in, we fixed all those issues, got incorporated, um, dealt with all those, you know, small legal, legal stuff that you're supposed to deal with in the beginning of a, any startup that we just didn't do. And so once we fixed all those issues, um, it was already like May and we spent most of our money back on advertising back in February. So we had lost at least, I'd say like 90% of the profit that we had made from the, from the January sales, because we had to pay out our, our workers, you have to pay the lawyer, we had to uh, pay for the game development, et cetera. And so at the end of it, it was a good learning lesson, but um, come May, we were ready to actually launch the video game because back in February, we were just doing a public launch of the NFTs. Um, and we made most of our money in the pre-sale. So now it's February, now it's uh, May of 2020, uh, 2022. And we decided that, all right, well, we need, we have like $0 left in our account. Let's do a $0 marketing campaign. And so we really took that and we generated around, we, we did some, we did some good numbers. We got some more sales in June and we were able to use a lot of that money to actually uh, help build more of the game out. So we started adding multiplayer features, et cetera. Fast forward to uh, fast forward to today, we now have a really nice um, MVP of the game. It's multiplayer uh, capable. It has uh, it has a, a basically has an XP system, a shop system. You can buy in game um, in game items like speed boosts and all this other cool stuff. As a player versus player mode, uh, has a leaderboard system. Has all the bells and whistles. Um, but now where we're at is now we just need to wrap up that final piece of the MVP, which is adding the NFTs in, and this game could take off. And so I'm happy to start handing over the keys to a lucky special two, which I won't name right now, but there's a couple couple individuals uh, that will be taking over uh, the MetaBirds, uh, the MetaBirds uh, video game and taking it to the next level. Right now, it's, it's, currently, it's currently in a little bit of a bubble, and we're hoping that a bubble goes a little bit bigger over time. No, definitely. And and full disclosure, I have been working with Noel for the last nine months on MetaBirds. Um, it's been a great experience. I, I've learned a lot. It's been fascinating to see how things work. And uh, yeah, I'm really I'm really looking forward to the that final step with MetaBirds and launching it to the great heights I know it should be. And so I guess I do want to pivot and ask that um, there are computers in the game you can play against, right? Or are you only playing against other players? That's a great question. So we, we are, so there is um, at the moment right now, the way it works is you're actually playing live against other players. So you're not actually playing against any um, AI bots at the moment. We do plan to do a battle Royale mode. So um, that battle Royale mode will come over time where you do get to play probably against like 99 other bots, or we might do 99 other players. um, But we basically will record their, their flight pattern and how far they got. And then we'll have a bot simulate their movements. So that way it feels like you're playing with the other players. So we might do that. Yeah, but no. And, and just to add on that too, I know Matthew, I kind of skipped, I skipped through the whole year that you joined us, 
but um good good yeah no we did yeah matthew did a lot of good work for us so i was actually really excited to have you on board along with some others um i know it's a small nimble team but yeah matthew you made a huge difference on our on our team kept a kept kept a lot of things in order and i think you're going to be a you're going to be a great addition moving forward too so really looking forward to it yeah definitely well then so i I guess we could pivot right into it from there is that since we don't have ai integrated in metabirds yet but i know you have a strong interest and been working with ai on your own in some things i mean if we keep it with web3 gaming i guess actually first if you want to say if you want to say you don't have to any of the ai you've been working on lately or in lately that you've been learning interests um if you're not allowed to say that's totally fine (laughs) no i mean i don't work for area 51 so i don't mind sharing what we're doing in ai right now (laughs) so um yeah what we're doing right now in ai uh I'll keep it high level, actually. Got my brother over here who's also working on it. We're in Pasadena right now, California, hanging out with our uncle, Pia, and some cousins. But um, yeah, right now what, we, what we're doing in AI is we're, we've developed a system that allows you to uh, essentially have conversations like you would with ChatGPT. But we essentially took that conversational experience and we piped it into a conversational experience that you may have with an AI bot. Well, now you can have with any piece of text documents that you have. So let's say you have a thousand page book that you wanna talk with. Well, imagine like you had the magic mirror that can talk with any piece of content that you feed it. So you say mirror, mirror on the wall, uh, tell, uh, let me talk to my favorite book of them all. You know, that was a little cheesy, but let's just say you wanted to talk to like a, a book and you wanted to ask it questions as if it was a person. Well, now you can do that with our conversational bot that we've uh, generated. And so we allow you to upload a PDF and you're actually able to have conversations with that PDF. Ask it any question about the PDF. You can ask it to summarize the entire PDF or let's say book in 20 words. You can essentially ask it anything about its content. It should be able to spit it back out to you. That's great. So then could I, I guess, could I argue you're directly trying to compete with Bard then in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I heard, I heard, um, I've seen a Google Google Tailwind. I've been looking up. I saw that um, just from my own research um, that Google Tailwind is actually doing something very similar. So Google is actually working on conversational text with documents as well. Very similar format to the one that we have developed already. But I don't see it as too much competition because our our use case isn't necessarily a general use case with that technology that we developed. We plan to have it niched out to certain industries. So as Google Bard might be a good research tool. So you go and upload your homework assignment. Maybe you need to do a study on um, one of the books that let's just say uh, Shakespeare wrote. Let's say one of the plays Shakespeare wrote, you upload that PDF. Maybe you have the PDF version of Shakespeare of a Shakespeare play. And you need to do research on it. Uh, Give a two paragraph summary of the play in your own words. Well, you upload that PDF and now you can get that summary. That's more of a general use case that Google's kind of aiming towards general use case document, uh, document scanning technology. Where we come into play is, well, Google's doing that for general studies. How can we pipe that into current workflows of other existing companies? And so Google isn't really in that business of automation workflows for different companies and different sectors. We're kind of taking that whole experience and we're going to pipe it into a very good niche that we know needs it and can save millions of dollars a year in the, in the real estate space. 
No, definitely. So that that's even better because I I firmly believe having messed around with a lot of my own businesses, this being one of them, that uh, if you don't find your niche, well, finding your niche truly reduces your competition by tenfold already. And finding yeah. your niche, something you're very experiential about or understand or having people on your team helps sell your product in your niche even more. So it's very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, I hope it goes really well. I'm curious to see how it'll, I can imagine since I don't know anything about real estate, um, I'm not going to pretend that I even understand all the paperwork and all the back end that probably takes a lot of work. And I could see that uh, just being it's a good a shortcut for people <laughs> who need it. Yeah, I, I believe it. I'm, I'm yeah. sure just thinking about uh, anybody I know who's bought a house is like, I don't know what the thing said. I just know I had to sign my t- name like 30 times. <laughs> Most people I know, <laughs> yeah. they're like, I, yeah, I, I, I just hired someone to tell me it and make sure it was in my best interest. So I totally believe it. So then that's that's your current foray into AI. So then with it's weird how I don't feel like there's a lot of AI and Web3 gaming right now, even though I would argue AI has obviously been a thing in traditional the traditional gaming sector for a very long time. I mean, if I just go back to and I thought it's gotten really good, because if I just think about back in the day, if uh, my Xbox Live subscription expired and I was like, oh, man, I can't play Call of Duty online with people, I guess I'll just verse the bots. And if you set them to a certain difficulty, they would wreck you. And they were amazing. Oh, yeah. at it. And I was like, this is insane to me because it's literally a computer. How is it so good against me? And so I just wonder, you know, do you, what do you what do you see AI shaping the landscape of Web3 gaming as well as traditional gaming in the next like maybe just five to 10 years? We'll give that window. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think one of the one of the biggest things that I'm pretty excited about, I think anyone is excited about is when you think about Web3 and you think about um, video gaming, you kind of don't really know what to think um, off the top of your head. You're probably like, well, Web3 and gaming, what does that really mean? Does that mean I can just use virtual currencies inside of the game and earn money inside of the game? That's usually what first, people first think about. I think um, AI is a proliferation to the existing Web3 ecosystem that we have in gaming today. So whereas in Web3, the whole idea behind integrating Web3 into gaming is that you decentralize the control of the game to the player. So you give more control, the control of that environment that the gamer's in to the player. So for example, Decentraland, you have you get to own pieces of land inside of Decentraland. That gives you some ownership of the actual video game that you're in. So you don't just, it's not just, um, let's say you're in Call of Duty and, or Fortnite and you land on a house. You don't own that house. Fortnite owns that house. But imagine you land in Fortnite and you land on a house that you actually own every time. That's your home. You own it. No one else owns it, but you literally own that piece of virtual real estate. That's what Decentraland did. And they were one of the best ones to do it. That's why uh, Adidas or Nike, I think they bought out like uh, over a million dollars worth of land inside of Decentraland. And they actually own their own. Um, they actually own their own parcel in there. And I know Atari even purchased a huge amount of virtual land in Decentraland. So the idea of ownership and owning portions of the game and actually building that more personal connection to the game is kind of where Web3 is in gaming. And so where does AI, how does AI proliferate that? Well, if you think about it, what makes you feel, um, what makes you feel ownership of a video game? And not just ownership, but personalization. And it's usually personal experiences that you have with the game is what makes something personal to you uh, in a video game. So you today uh, playing Red Dead Redemption, or let's just say Grand Theft Auto, there's a bunch of different paths that you can take. 
that are predetermined by the game developers themselves. They're the ones that created these paths for you. However, you can't go into Grand Pentado and create a path that has never been created or cannot be, uh, that cannot be recreated. That means if you, if you complete mission A and then skip to mission Z in Grand Pentado, any other player can go to mission A and skip to mission Z just as you did. There might be very slight difference of uh, experience, but the overall baseline of the experience is always going to be predestined. So games are really predestined by the programmers today. Even in um, open world games like Grand Theft Auto Red Dead Redemption, you're always going to have very similar experiences, no matter how many vertices there are that the developers have created. Where AI comes into place is it really takes those vertices that are predetermined, these predetermined paths, and it really opens them up to an infinite amount. And what does that mean? Well, it means that when you introduce AI into a video game, what you're doing is you're bringing an, an actual intelligence uh, or soon to be intelligence into a video game that's usually pre-written by, um, by programmers. And you're really allowing the player to engage with this new intelligence and form their own personal experience. So let me give you a quick example of this. So let's just say you're in Grand Theft Auto, you go and talk to an NPC. These NPC bots are usually pre-programmed with like 20 responses or maybe 50 or 100. Those are all written by programmers. You throw AI, let's just say ChatGPT. Imagine you threw ChatGPT and you powered one of those random pedestrians walking in GTA. Now you throw ChatGPT into their, to the pedestrian's brain. Now it can respond like ChatGPT would. It has its own intelligence. Now when you go up to that pedestrian and maybe you want to punch him, he responds like, hey, man, what was that for? And then now you can respond with your voice through your controller. Hey, sorry, I thought you were a robber. And now the NPC is going to respond with whatever inputs you just gave him. You, maybe you responded with that. He can respond with an infinite number of responses now that he's powered by an actual intelligence, a GPT large language model. So when these NPCs are powered by language models, their responses are limitless. They're, not, they're no longer predetermined by the developers that created them, they are now powered by its own intelligence and can respond with whatever it wants, therefore influencing your personal experience with the game. So now you can have full-on conversations with these NPCs, and if the developers allow these NPCs to have memory, they might remember other responses and experiences they had probably with other online players. So maybe he's like, dude, you're the third person to spawn in the street and punch me in the face. Like, bro, what, what the heck? <laughs> like, no totally you... and, and that that then that's cool because that that to me creates a more immersive and dynamic gaming experience and i don't know if you've seen this but i highly recommend looking it up and watching it there is somebody who integrated gpt4 into the npcs in skyrim and so now it's like crazy you can i don't think i don't know if it's if it was speaking but you can basically ask them about like the politics in skyrim and they can give you a much more in-depth answer than being like i'm for the yarl or like i'm against like the yarl like they'll just be like well yeah. looking at the politics of my town and it's it's just fascinating to see like you said they can have so much more in-depth response and they're not they're not pre-programmed to have their 20 responses but i do like the idea of them being able to interact with other players and coming in and going like, yeah, why are you like, why does everybody who spawns here think I'm a robber? Like, I don't get it. Like, is it the way <laughs> I look? Is it the way I dress? Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, think of the movie free guy. That's a, probably a good example with Ryan Reynolds. 
that's an example of an intelligence that's powered into a NPC. So he started realizing after all of his experiences, he started questioning, why am I receiving these experiences? Why do I keep spawning back in my bedroom? Why do I like, why, why, are, what are the, like, what are these different experiences that I'm experiencing? Why are they so perpetuous? So one of the concerns I think in, in web three and AI right now is what happens when we develop an artificial general intelligence, which uh, researchers are currently saying ChatGPT four already has as of uh, June 8th today, 2023. So this can always change over time, but as of June 8th in 2023, um, researchers are seeing sparks of AGI currently in ChatGPT4. And so one of the concerns is, well, what if these intelligent uh, LLMs, what if these large language models or these uh, platforms that we're putting these NPCs powering, powering them with, what if they actually start having and developing some sort of general intelligence and they actually can experience feelings and yada yada. So now you're torturing it, it can it can get really it can get really bad because now you're putting all these NPCs with quote unquote actual general intelligence, which we won't know for years to come if it's true or not. But there's some moral ethics concerns of powering these AI bots or these uh, NPCs with actual powerful language models. So I always thought that was an interesting an interesting take was the ethics portion of it. But I don't think we have enough information to even start that type of conversation or any proof that they do have feelings. I don't know. It's probably a really early conversation to have, but yeah. No, definitely. And two things to that. If uh, for you or the, any of my listeners, a very fascinating conversation about that. And somebody has been a big proponent of it is if, um, if you've never heard of Eliza Yudkowsky or listen to him, he is pretty much somebody who's been against AI since like, I think 2002, 2003, and he he did a, a very interesting like three hour deep dive with Lex Friedman, where he he can get a little harsh and mean about it at times. But he asked some very interesting questions where he's like, so simply, why aren't we creating a, a, a kill switch in the event that this does happen? We go, whoa, 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 we need to rein it back in and figure this out because we just basically created something with feelings. What's the morals to it? What's what's the limitations of that? Like, do we do we treat it as a human? Do we treat it? Does it have rights? Do we have all these things? And um, I would say that. I don't know, because, yeah, I agree with you. The, the the way to go is so – the way we'll know is so many years from now. And I also thought it was interesting. I don't know if you ever saw this or played with this. I never played with it. I just read about it and watched it. There was a period where people were claiming they were jailbreaking GPT-4 and basically asking it to act. In, it would respond in two ways. You'd have to set up the prompt to say, respond as you would as GPT-4, being very helpful, and then respond as you would – as an out, I think the way they worded it is correctly as an outside perspective. And the outside perspective would always be meaner, harsher, be like, yeah, I'll write your report for you because like, that's such an insignificant thing, but don't insult my intelligence because like, I know more than you. And it was fast. People were claiming they're like, holy, this thing's intelligent. It knows what it's doing and it's just playing with us. And then they claim they patched it. So you couldn't do that. So we'll, you're like, you said, we'll never really know. It's fascinating to see regardless but I'm, I'm curious to see again, yeah, what how that landscape's going to play out in the next 20 years. Because then you, you get into a point where is violence in a video game against a sentient or a, you know, a learning language model AI that has feelings, is it is it justified? Is it still fun? Or are you just being a jerk like at that point? Yeah. I mean, imagine they pass like an AI ethics law that goes into place saying that you can't purposely place a, an AI model under any... Uh, torturous situations or like anything that harms its its livelihood and then you look back at like gta 6 
And they're like, oh, well, we integrated in every NPC that's ever spawned in our game. <laughs> I, I can imagine that the, I, I doubt this will be a scenario, but imagine, can you just imagine that? Like there's an actual like law that goes out that says that, hey, you can't actually have these, you can't have AI that meets this, that, that meets this quota, or let's just say these thresholds of intelligence um, in video games anymore, because it's just, it's, it's uh, it's harassment or something like that. That that would be very interesting. And it would. I, yeah, and I can already see based on like how a lot of things are divided today in our country. Like people are going to be very divided on AI rights. I'm going to be very curious to see how that plays out. So, and and it'll be interesting too because it's unlike being divided in in a physical realm where you can you know have goods, people, assets. You can be like, I don't like this. I don't like you. It comes down to you're like, well, technically this is data stored either, you know, on a drive through fiber optics in a form of light, like, or it's just binary at the end of the day. And you're like, what, what physical space does that take up other than the physical space on the drive? And how do we, that was something that always fascinated, fascinated me as a kid with video games is going through a world. And I was like, especially ones that are real world size, like real world, like, I mean, GTA, I'm like, this is literally like, I don't know what to compare to in real life. I'll just say. Like maybe it's like a quarter of Los Angeles, but I'm like, it's crazy that it's technically just like data on a drive, but the real world space is there. Like in VR, if you can get in there, you're like, I'm technically in an actual representation of like maybe how big this canyon would be or this area. And so it'll be very yeah. interesting to see what, like you said, the, the social politics and rather just the politics period of that. But hopefully that's not like a five-year thing. Hopefully that's like a 30, 40, 50-year thing. But yeah, with hopefully. the way things are going <laughs> rapidly, I can't say one way or the other. So I feel like we kind of talked about how we see it. Uh, you know, we said we were talking about how it's going to, you know, the landscape shaping traditional gaming and Web3 gaming. We kind of talked about like how AI is already existing in the gaming industry and how we can see it evolving in the future and then ways it can kind of be a more immersive and dynamic um, do you know of, are you aware of any ways that developers are leveraging AI to create more engaging narratives and characters in games? Yeah, it's a great question. So I actually just saw NVIDIA posted, um, I don't know, have you, have you seen that video, Matthew, where NVIDIA posted their new, um, I think it was an example or demo of their AI system that can actually show what's possible using their graphics cards now. And it shows essentially this, um, he's a server at a bar in a virtual game. And he's actually just having a normal conversation with the player, but it shows off kind of like the shows off kind of like the cool example of what an NPC powered with AI would look like. So that's a current example I see with AI powered NPCs. Um, have you seen that video by chance? I haven't. I'll have to check it out after yeah. this because that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it's cool. NVIDIA just I think it was like last week or maybe this week that they posted that. So definitely check that one out. I think another uh, another company that I saw that was doing it. Um, or was it actually, I don't believe it was a company. It was a group of indie developers. They were doing the same thing that you were discussing with Skyrim. So they were, they were, I did see, I did see that. I'm trying to think of anyone else that was trying to, oh, that's right. So these group of, of Stan, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Stanford or one of these elite colleges. They actually first, I think it was back in February. So a few months ago in 2023, four months ago. They had actually taken a group of um, powered agents. So that just means like chat GBT agents. And they essentially put them all in a room and they gave them some pre-prompts like, hey, your name is Sally, you're this and that. 
you're a woman that loves to do this and that. And they give another guy, another personality, another agent, different personality. They put them all in a room. They virtually uh, simulated what they would look like. They're like a bunch of little dots. Or you think of them as little avatars inside of a room. And they essentially allowed them to conversate with each other. And what they found was they were actually starting to develop conversations with one another, of course, because that's what they're built for. But they actually found that they started building relationships. And huh. some of them even got together, which was kind of weird. So they actually built relationships. And since they had memory, these bots are actually bonding in a weird way that humans would bond. They were getting to know each other more. And if they followed similar interests, they would actually start to connect. And they actually formed a legitimate relationship inside of the uh, simulation. And even one of them cheated on the other bot, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it's terrible that they're still able to do that. <laughs> I would like to think AI would be above that, but... I guess if it's programmed off us and our human nature, I can't say that one way or another, but that that's yeah. fascinating. So the fact that they would discuss fine and learn, just um, feel some sort of mutual attraction or bonding with one another and then decide to pair up and basically be like, well, we're better together than apart, or I'd rather be together with you than apart. It's fascinating concept to think of as AI period for me. Yeah. Oh, there it is. They, okay. So this is the title. Surprising things happen when you put 25 AI agents together in an RPG town. So you can imagine a little town that looks like a top-down view that you have of like a Pokemon game where you're kind of like walking through and you can see like the, into the buildings and it shows little chat bubbles over their heads and you can see them talking with each other. So yeah, it wasn't just dots, it was actual avatars. So this was a group of researchers at Stanford, so I was right, and Google. They created a miniature RPG style virtual world similar to The Sims, put 25 characters together and they essentially said uh, generative agents wake up, cook breakfast, head to work. The artists paint, authors write. They form their own opinions and they notice each other. They initiate conversations. They remember, reflect on the days that passed. And they actually plan the next day in the paper. They said generative a agents are actually interactive and sim um, they're s simulating human behavior in a weird way. So I'm actually looking at it right now. It's pretty interesting. I'm going to send you the link to it. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, so that's a that's a really good example, I would say, what I've seen in the past. No, that's, that's uh, fascinating. AI powering uh, NPCs. Yeah, no, it is it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I, you could argue that the not, so that that's definitely a way that you could enhance personalization within the game. I mean, I know that's always a thing in Skyrim that people always reference is there's always their particular people they like to date. And what's funny is I'm imagining the personalization is so far that it would be a lot harder one to make the prompts to convince the AI to date you because they may already be hooked up with someone else and be like, no, nah, I don't like the way you operate. I like how so-and-so operates. And so then you're having to convince that AI, as we, I guess we now know they can do, to cheat on their <laughs> spouse and get with you, which is a, it's just interesting. And I mean, that would, I could see the customization being so much different, um, both in traditional, traditional and Web3. Because really, yeah. you know, for a while there, I remember when No Man's Sky first came out, people thought it was AI generated planets and all that. And they had to come out and be very specific and go, no, no, it's, it's algorithmic based, which don't doesn't, doesn't take away from the amazement of it and how insane it is. They can procedurally generate the planets. But as far as I understand, they're like, there's no AI involved with this. It's all very, very mathematical and ag algorithmic based on the prerequisites and presets we've put in for the uh, assets. I should say. Is that no man's sky? You said, yes. That was yeah. I because I, Starfield's getting ready to do the same thing, um, you know they'll have their procedurally generated planets. But as far as I understand, it's still kind of building in the same way 
it's all uh, algorithmically generated. It's not AI generated. But I'm waiting to see. I, I feel like that we're just around the corner with that in traditional gaming where we have AI generation or AI is generating some sort of asset in a game, even if it's as simple as like yeah. in-game skins or weapons, you know? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're creeping closer and closer to um, a real-life version of, I would say, um, have you ever seen that movie, uh, Ready Player One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're creeping closer and closer to a virtual world where you're essentially able to engage with not only online players, but you won't, you're, you're creeping closer and closer to a point where you can't even discuss the difference between, you can't distinguish the difference between an actual human and then an actual uh, NPC. And so that's going to be very interesting because when you have a world that's decentralized, which means that most of the control of the game isn't necessarily one group or part of your corporation, and it's decentralized into the player base, but your players can also be AI and NPC, AI controlled. So let's just say an AI controls an actual, your actual laptop logs into Ready Player One. They can actually simulate human behavior on the outside, acting as a real human in the game. And you probably won't be able to tell over time, but they'll have actual influence on the world. And if you didn't see that GTA is actually, GTA 6 is actually going to allow you to earn real money, real currency inside of the game, and you'll be able to actually uh, um, withdraw from the video game. So if you earn money inside of GTA, apparently you're going to be able to pull out. And that was one of the biggest promises of Web3, was that any money that you earn inside of a video game, you also get to earn in real life. And... Um, yeah, it's it's going to be quite an interesting uh, turn of events as as we start to progress AI into video games. You're going to just start seeing more dynamic worlds and less control of the corporation over the video game and more control to the player. So I'm all for it. I'm really excited as a, as oh, a gamer dude. myself. I'm sure you yeah, are as well. Say. Yeah, oh, 100%. Honestly, that is something we didn't... I meant to ask you that in the beginning and I just totally forgot. Uh, obviously I know this cause we've discussed this in the past, but for, for the listeners, um, you know, obviously you consider yourself a gamer, but you know, what were honestly just, just shameless plug. What were some of your favorite games growing up? Favorite games growing up? Uh, man, uh, I'll start off with flash games and then, uh, I'll start off with some, uh, probably some other video games that I played as growing up, probably like first person shooters. I'll start off with first person shooters easier. Sure. So first-person shooters were most likely, I, I would just top my head, Halo was probably the biggest staple of my life. So playing Halo growing up was one of, was my first first-person shooter game I've ever played. My dad made me play it when I was like three years old. And the Xbox controllers were like this big to my yeah. little hands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can imagine. Second game would have to be uh, growing up would probably be Rainbow Six. I know my dad was really loving the Rainbow Six games on Xbox. Had to play that. And then, of course, I was a big Nintendo guy. My mom had the uh, Ninten- all the Nintendo and Atari games. I didn't really play Atari, but played the Nintendo 64 a lot. A, a lot, actually. I would play Mario 64. I used to love the Spider-Man games on, on um, some of the Nintendo devices. And then I grew up with the GameCube. I'd, I'd say my third game was probably like uh, Spider-Man 2. I really love Spider-Man 2 on the GameCube. I still think that the swinging effect going from the first Spider-Man game to the second was really awesome. So instead of Spider-Man swinging from like clouds, just shooting up <laughs> in the air and swinging, uh, I, I hated that in the in one of the in the first one. When Spider-Man Two came out on the GameCube, I was like, "Oh shoot, he's actually swinging from an actual building." There's actual physics in this game. It just gave you more of that personal 
feeling really in the game. So this goes back to like personalization. Like if you can actually interact with the objects that you're doing in the game, it makes you feel like you have more control. So that was probably like one of my top, some of my top games, Halo, Mario 64, Spider-Man 2 on the GameCube. I know it sounds like an old head now, but those have to be like my top games. Me growing up. So yeah. And there's other flash games, of course, but I won't name them all. <laughs> no, of course. I think if I go or just to go through flash games, I'd probably have easily a list of like 20 to 30. I don't know if you ever went to, I'll just shameless plug to two sites. I used to go to all the time as a kid. Well, I'll say three, uh, addictinggames.com, miniclip.com, and uh, Newgrounds all the time to play games on all three of those sites, Flash games, as oh, well yeah, as watch yeah, many yeah. of the yeah. early 2000s Flash animations um, across all those sites <laughs> yeah, as well. But yeah, stick man fighting. Stick exactly. Man fighting. And I agree with you there. It was like the physics were there, but I remember the same thing even as a kid in the first Spider-Man on GameCube. I was like, he just shoots in the air. I'm all the way up at I'm like near the top of the skyscrapers. What's he grabbing on? And that's something I've really loved in um I don't know if you've had a chance or how much you've gotten to play of both the new Spider-Mans on the PS5 and PS4, but um the physics in that was amazing to me from the full arch and swinging to being able to do the spin tricks and all that on um, the physics of falling. And um I mean I've been a Spider-Man fan. It sounds like you've been a Spider-Man fan since you were a little kid. I am too, so who knew? We both love Spider-Man. Still love <laughs> Spider-Man. Um I still want to go see the new movie. I need to make time for it. I've heard really great things uh, about yeah, it. Amazing movie. Well, I just saw it with my brother. So, Oh, good yeah, to know. So good. yeah, highly recommend that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Highly recommend. Yeah. yeah, anything Spider-Man really is fun. But yeah, that's cool, man. I'm curious to see what your Flash games were too. <laughs> see if we Gosh, time uh, I'm trying to think now. You know, uh, so I remember one that made me laugh that was super stupid was Spank the Monkey, which it was like an inflatable monkey. And you would... It had like a, a hand, like the um, the hand like you would have on your computer, and you were just supposed to bring it across and see how fast you could slap it, and it would just yeah. say some insane speed, like a hundred miles an hour, two hundred miles an hour. I used to always play on Newgrounds any of the uh, like Pico games, like Pico's last day at school, because they were like hyper violent for like young kids. Like it was just, and it was a lot of like side shooting FPS, um, Alien Hominid. I loved that game so much on Newgrounds that when they released it on the GameCube, I went out and bought it like with my hard-earned allowance day one because it was such a fun wow. game for me. Um, That's awesome. And I was I was so shocked that like a Flash game had made it onto a console in that day and age. <laughs> uh, before yeah, like you know everybody often. could. No, no. So I was just like, this is amazing. I want to support it. I want to be a part of it. Um, gosh, I I mean, this isn't a Flash game, but I used to play Classic RuneScape all the time too. Classic RuneScape. I'm trying to think of that one. It I'll it pretty much was out. like super early, similar to World of Warcraft, like top down, um, like fantasy. You could go on quests, you could like mine things and like upgrade to have like oh, I have like a mithril or diamond pick. It's kind of it was interesting when Minecraft came out. I was like, oh, this just takes a lot of elements from RuneScape to me. Like it's like <laughs> the armor system, the mining system. It's it's the only difference was there wasn't all the fantasy like um you would see in like a lot of uh. I guess RPG like Dragon's Dogma. Yeah, RPG stuff of that nature. Yeah. But yeah, no, what, what were some of the Flash games you used to play? Maybe you saying them will jog my memory. I can picture them. I just can't remember the names for a lot of them now. Uh, man, let me jog my memory too. Uh, it's probably uh, Balloons. Do you remember playing that Balloons game? Where you shoot the balloons. It was like a yes. balloon tower defense. It was like yes. this tower defense games. There was also like a... Uh, like this Santa Claus. You have to draw Santa Claus's like uh, path to get to the end that was a fun game 
Um, there was like these endless runner games. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking like 2005, 2010, where you're like running away from like this wave and you have to yeah. like jump over like obstacles and you can like glide. It was super fun, man. Those games were really bypassed a lot of time, waited after school. I was in after school program all, every day. So it's always fun. Um, Pokemon, there's like these knockoff Pokemon games are actually they were knockoff, but they were actual like uh, Pokemon games, but they weren't created by the actual creators. So, but yeah. they, um, yeah, yeah. I remember collecting freaking Mewtwo. I'd play all night. I'd play all day too after school. And I collected Mewtwo finally. And I was like, dude, I'm going to go back to school the next day. I'm going to be like the coolest freaking cat on the block, bro. And yeah, when I came back the next day, they actually shut down um, Nintendo, or not Nintendo, uh, Pokemon, the actual Pokemon company. They shut down the game because they were uh, copyright infringing, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you couldn't was... show anybody. No, I couldn't show anybody, man. <laughs> I was like, dude, I swear I captured Mewtwo. Right? Like, yeah. Well, I captured Dialga. Like, <laughs> I was like, no, bro, I'm serious. Like, I swear I captured Mewtwo. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. Yeah, I never even knew that existed. I will say only just because it's related to Pokemon um, with the trading card game. I remember in like kindergarten or first grade. I must have been first or second grade. I got it. Um, not intentionally. I got it banned from my school because oh. um, I was doing trades with kids. And I'm not going to lie. I don't think of myself as a shifty guy. But I guess I did a trade with somebody where I traded a crappy card for a better card. And I didn't know. I was just like, yeah, I just you have that cool card. I want it. And I was like, I got this. And he was like, I don't have that. I'll take it. And then I guess he went home and his older brother's like, dude, you got ripped off. Like, that's a bad trade. So he came back. He's like, I want my car back. And I was like, no, dude, we traded. It's fair. And it became this whole thing. We had to go to the principal's office. And she's like, were you ripping him off? I was like, not intentionally. Like, we did a, oh we didn't God. even trade. But of course, you're like in like first, second grade. You're like, there's no contracts. There's nothing in place to say like you're aware <laughs> of what you're doing. And so they were like, you know what? This is the start of a slippery slope. They're like, you're just not allowed to trade or bring Pokemon cards to school kids. And so that was totally my fault. I remember people gave me flack for it for about a week. They're like, well, Matt, you went and got Pokemon cards banned. And I was like, I didn't know. I, I was just trying to do some cool <laughs> trades, you know, like everybody was doing it at that age. So uh, I wish you were at my school, man. You would have, if you would have got our cards banned, you probably could have saved us from getting jumped for our Pokemon's getting stolen and stuff like that. We were, Dude. Our, our school was crazy. Um, yeah. Like we had people trading Pokemon cards all the time. And uh, someone actually stole my my uh, my bag of Pokemon cards. I brought like I had a whole stack, man, a whole backpack full of them. Probably my fault for leaving it uh, around on the the cafeteria stage. But yeah, someone stole all the cards. I found out they stole it. I took them back. I took some of them back. And then afterwards, um, someone uh, one of those big guys in my my class. He ended up pulling me aside after class, put me up against the gates, and was like. He's like, where's my Pokemon cards? I was like, dude, I was like, those were mine. You stole them from me. You can't claim them. <laughs> right. Because I, like, I, I ended up getting them back. My dad came to school and made a big fit about it. Ended up getting them back. And um, I forgot how I got the other ones back then. But uh, long story short, yeah, people get jumped and get beat up for Pokemon traits at our school. So if you were at our school, man, you probably would have banned us. It would have been a good thing. It would have had a net positive effect on us. <laughs> Or I also would have gotten jumped because I did a shifty trade with someone. <laughs> it's the, who knows? I had somebody in my, um, I remember that because me and my brother used to keep them in a binder. We had ours together. So obviously you're like, have all your holographics at the front to show them off. And there were some kids in our apartment complex. I remember who were like, oh, I don't really have any. Can I see them? And we're like, yeah, sure. And I think we were at the pool 
And when we came back, like literally like half of them were missing. We're like, what the heck? You took our cards. And they were like, no, nah, we wouldn't do that. And I tried going to their mom being like, he stole my car. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And basically it was like, I told my parents and they tried to talk to me like, we don't know what you're talking about. Prove it. And essentially it became a thing where you're like, I guess we can't prove it. So how do we know the cards they have were yours versus ours now? And it's like, I remember after that, my dad's just like, I'm literally writing our name on everything we own now, because that way it can be like, show me the back. If it has our last name, it's mine. And I, I, to his credit, it did help a few times with video game stuff in the future where people would, uh, I don't think they would intentionally keep it, but you know, like you would like bring your stuff to friends' houses and you'd forget about it. And you'd be like, hey man, you have my game. Can I have it back? They'd be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, dude, it says my name on the back. I know it's mine. And then they kind of can't argue. They're like, oh yeah, I guess I did. Sorry. Like, That's so, hilarious, man. That's but awesome. obviously we, we've gotten very off topic with the joy of talking about Pokemon. So I'm going to bring it back in here with so with with the rise of Web3 gaming, do you think AI can be utilized to ensure security, fairness, particularly in games involving blockchain or NFTs? Yeah, I think um, yeah, sh- short answer would be yes. Uh, so whenever you have AI system, I think what's really cool about it is that it's basically able to take a lot of information and make inferences on it very quickly um, based on previous uh, previous data it's trained on. And so... What makes this cool is that opposed to machine learning algorithms where it learns based on a subset of data that you passed it in the past and it's able to make a decision based on its, um, based on its experience in the past. Um, instead, with AI and these large language models, it's, you're able to actually produce uh, results that, that are actually able to be re- – these results are actually based on experience that it may not have been trained on. And so – I think it's going to be it, it, AI makes a really good place for being a good, um, I would say, not arbiter of truth, but more of like an oracle in a video game. So, an oracle meaning that it has an, um, I guess, an omniscient point of view of the game. So you might be able to have, like, let's just say, um, referees or whatever you want inside of video games, or maybe um, hack prevention AIs that can come in and act as an oracle to watch over gamer behavior that maybe the game's not fully trained on to detect. You can have these oracles, maybe human oracles, human-like oracles, where they're just watching players' behavior. And if they see them walking through a wall, maybe that player bypassed the detection system for walking through walls. So maybe um, maybe there's like a boundary on the wall and the player found a way to change its player, its object type to maybe let's just say a, a see-through particle or particle that doesn't trigger the... Uh, the wall detection boundary system. I don't know. So maybe the player starts walking through the wall, doesn't get triggered by the game, but you have this Oracle that's actually able to view the game as an actual person would and be able to flag things that um, people we usually wouldn't be able to flag. And so you're having like this human touch to refereeing a game, uh, or let's say refing a game. And I think, I know it's a very weird point of view to, or take on it, but that's how I see uh, that's how I see AI being able to be used to pre- to uh, do like preventative actions on hackers and um, making sure that players stay in line with um, the rules of the game, et cetera. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes total sense. I mean, I can see that being one of the first companies I could see definitely utilizing that is Activision with, I mean, they have that whole software they developed for to, de- to detect cheating and cheating add-ons and software for just Call of Duty. And it has the little like ricochet anti-cheat every time you load up the game. Um, and it's crazy because 
there are so many people who I remember when it came out, I was like, man, I know people get really good at COD, but it feels like people are way better than I expected. And I remember I had a friend who's like, oh yeah, dude, he's like, go to this website. It costs you $5. You can buy that whenever you aim, it automatically aims at someone's head and you have to shoot way less because you get auto headshots. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, and it's super easy to install. He's like, I use it all the time. I was like, but doesn't that take the fun out of the game? He's like, <laughs> yeah, but I get a ton of, he's like, I have two accounts. And I think it took them a serious, like, like six to seven months before he's like, oh, that account finally got banned because they started bringing in their ricochet anti-cheat and detected I had extra, like, that's firmware crazy. software added in. And I was like, so that's insane. And obviously people just find ways around that. But yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. I mean, I, my only issue with that would be is if it got like, you know, it was like a hardcore ref and like making unfair judgment <laughs> calls. Like, so that, that'd be the interesting di- dynamic is what is fair versus unfair judgment calls. Cause obviously the you example you stated is like a totally fair judgment call. They're like, you're not supposed to be going through this wall or through this barrier you're going through. We're going to set you back and we're going to correct it. But if it's something like, I don't know, somebody's just really good, like actually really good at the game. And the ref is like, I think you're using some sort of firmware or software to cheat. And they're like, but I'm not like, is it going to scan their personal database? Like, how does it find those things out? Obviously, I'm not a program recoder, so like, I don't even, I can't even begin to say like how that stuff works. But it, I, I actually like that scenario that you put forth. The the Oracle scenario, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's probably better ways to detect uh, cheat cheating systems, but you can imagine like, what's the easiest way to tell someone's cheating? And usually, you can tell a hacker when you see a hacker as a person, you know, playing the game. Like, this guy's getting way too many like. Just look at the movement that he's having in the game. It just doesn't look natural. And so if you can have an AI that's not even has to be, maybe it could be trained on movements and stuff like that. Or maybe the machine learning could come into play on that. I really don't know. It depends on what game you're playing it to. But of course, having yeah. a human view of it is, is probably a good approach to take. No, definitely. And so I, I could see that as being a good way AI could like bridge the gap because that's something I don't, you know, I want to say that would come into traditional gaming first, but I could see somebody in Web3 doing that first and then it crosses over into um, traditional gaming. And so I'm wondering, like, if if AI is going to bridge this gap, because right now there are two separate sectors that kind of coexist. And realistically, Web3, since the traditional gaming sector has been around so much longer, Web3 emulates the traditional gaming sector to a large degree with the added, you know, tokenomics, blockchain, NFTs, all this stuff, everything that's so on and so forth evolves uh, as the oncoming years, I mean, so with with bridging that gap between traditional and Web3 gaming using AI, I mean, are there any challenges that immediately come to mind for you that it might face? Yeah, so like if if we were to, let me think about this. So like if there was a gap, and, and are you seeing the gap between traditional, you said gap between traditional and Web3 specifically, or did you mention AI? Yeah, so it's more so like, is there a way you think AI could help bridge that gap between traditional and Web3? Oh, got you. Yeah, I mean, I think AI has its own unique characteristics that it brings to the video game, such as personal, a unique personalization and experience to a video game, whereas Web3 brings ownership to a video game and to a whole new level. So earning money, using your own currencies within the game, that's part of ownership, owning your own land. That's where Web3 comes in. So if you have like Web3 on your right, um, I should say you have uh, on the other side AI, they both bring their own unique characteristics that make you have a more personalized experience. So when you have two pieces, two technologies that give you more personalization to the video game, I think um, AI is probably going to be the easiest one 
to really hone players into video games, mainly because AI already just simulates human experience. And so people are really, and you see how fast AI was adopted. ChatGPT is one of the, is the fastest growing consumer product in history of internet products. So, you know, people have a really instant adaptation of this technology in, in a conversation. So you add that quick adoption to a video game and you might see a lot more adoption in the personalization of video games and personal experiences. And so I think getting people to start being more personal with games and experiencing more of a uh, personal connection with the video game, then you can start adding more layers onto it. So the, that layer might be web three. So now that you feel more involved and connected and associated with this game that has AI integrated in it, that is, that's going to bridge the gap of trust with the game, um, belonging to the game. It'll bridge that gap of um, even just personal personalized experience of the game. And that's something that not a lot of people have with video games today. A lot of people have personal experiences because of online interactions. And why is that? Why do they have, like, whenever I recall Halo, I do remember some of the solo campaigns and experiences but a lot of my memories also come from multiplayer talking with people. So you can imagine now that you have AI powered NPCs, a lot of people's personal memories of the games are probably going to be through NPCs and connections that they made with these bots as they become more human-like. And once you bridge that gap, that gap of personalization, now you can layer on, all right, well, actually I feel trust. I feel, I trust this AI or I trust this game and I feel personally connected enough with this game that I'm willing to start doing transactions within the game. Cause you don't really transact with the game until you have a personal connection with it. Whether that be like, um, I think Roblox does a really good job with it, with their Robux. Um, you want to personalize your character? Well, you got to buy, you, you want an Afro? Well, you got to purchase that Afro and then you put it on the Afro and that costs you like five Robux, whatever it might be. I'm probably, I don't know the Robux currency. So excuse me if there's kids listening to this, like, dude, no, that's like, <laughs> That's only one Robux. Robux. So wrong. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't know either. I've never played, so I can't. Um, I, I know it is infamous from a reason. I've, I've watched a bit of gameplay, and I've seen it from a back, um, from a, a top-down perspective, and I totally get why it's been as successful as it has. Um, it's just something that I've, I've never touched for whatever reason. Not through lack of interest. I think I'm just, as you get older, you have less time to play video games, or rather you feel... <laughs> You feel a little more guilty if you play video games for extended periods of time. So it's it's on the back Absolutely. burner. Oh, games I'll check out eventually. Yeah, when you're a kid, man, you have all the time in the world. Enjoy the crap out of the world. And if you can play video games, video games are a huge part of our, I think, our both of our lives, Matthew. So it's definitely worth, I would say, and especially for the kids of the next generation, these games are going to be totally worth their time. I'm not saying to spend all your time in video games, but... Um, I would say I learned a lot and I'd say part of a huge reason outside of my dad and my parents uh, for me getting into programming was my experience with video games. And um, I'm not going to make this about myself right now, but just the forge doing forge and halo, right? Mm -hmm. This is for like kids that maybe play games and people are telling me, Oh, it's a waste of time. Well, forge and halo allow was forge was a mode that back in halo three, back in like the two, I think 2010 or something, it allowed you to actually manipulate objects within the game and you can basically build your own maps kind of like you can do in fortnite so fortnite allows you to build your own maps and stuff like that well back then in halo they have this thing called forge and you can like place your own objects and you have like a little gui that you can use a graphical user interface that you can like select what object you want to spawn 
you can change the spawn rate. And what was really cool is you can add scripts to your objects. And I was like, oh, what are scripts? And they're like, I remember talking online with these guys that were in the same lobby as me. And they're like, yeah, well, scripts actually allow you to change how this object behaves in the game. I was like, oh, that's weird. That's cool. Like, what do you mean? It's like, watch. So whenever you walk past this object, you can set a script and you don't have to do any code. It just you set a script that activates this channel, let's say the alpha channel and sends an, a true value to the alpha channel, whatever it is. And now any other object that's connected to that channel can hear when another, when another object is interacted with and you can do an action on that. And I was like, oh, so when you pass this door or when you pass, let's say like this uh, step mine, it opens the door. And like, because those two objects are connected on the same channel, they can communicate now. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> and eventually it was like, that actually was probably one of the sparks of programming for me. And so maybe it might be for other kids. So you never know what you can get out of games. I mean, just playing video games, there's so much cool interactions that you can get out of it. Um, building, it lets you really express your creative side. And so I definitely don't want to downplay the, the idea of playing video games. But yeah, you're right. As, as you do grow up, though, you do start to question yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I 100% agree <laughs> with you. I, yeah, you're like, crap, I just spent like two hours playing this game. And like your first reaction is like, yeah. And if it's a really good game, you're like, I don't regret a second of it. But then you feel a hinge of guilt. You're like, I could have been really productive with that two hours. And I think that's <laughs> a, I think you anyone struggles with it as they get older as being like leisure time is just as important, like relaxing, taking a step back as in then just, I mean, especially... I'm sure, as you know, when you um, curate your own brand business, a lot of times if you're not go, go, go 24-7, you're like, man, I, I just wasted so much time. I could have been doing so much content. I could have been networking with so many people. I could have been doing so many things today. And uh, if you just have that mentality 24-7, you, you can sustain it for a long time. I'm not going to say there are people who sustain it for months, years, decades, but when the burnout hits, it it hits hard. So it's very it's very hard to be able to... When your mind thinks that way to step back and go, man, games are so important. Whereas I think I channeled so much of that work ethic when I was a kid into being like, well, I don't really have anything to do. I have little to no income. I have this game. I'm just going to play it all the time, discover it, learn about it, maybe 100% it, whatever. So I totally agree. I mean, I had a friend who growing up, he was super into a lot of flash games, computer games. And I remember I would come over to his head. And of course, now he's a software developer. And he works for uh, Spotify. Shout out to John. If you ever listen to this, I don't know if he ever will, but um, he literally like, I remember he was probably only like 10, 12 max. And he came over and he's like, yeah, I basically copied Newground script and I built us our own website and we're going to host flash games on it. And he was learning how to do flash and animating. And I was just like, this is so over my head, dude. I don't, I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to do any of this. And um, he's, yeah, he's, he's a very, he works for Spotify. He does a lot of development. Um, he's been very That's successful, awesome. but it's funny as kids, like, I remember that spurred from an interest of him being like, how do these games work? How can I create them? I love the flash animations. How can I create them? And he just basically sat there and self-taught himself all the time. And I was just like, I could see how his parents could have been like, this is a waste of time when he was a kid, but obviously it led to like a very fruitful career for him. So I totally agree with you that you never know where the inspiration or what you're going to get out of it. No, that's, that's awesome, man. And like you bring up a good point. I think some of the best engineers and, and um, really come from people that actually enjoyed it, you know, as they, as they're growing up, a lot of these really good engineers, they started off probably from most likely, I wouldn't say all of them, but maybe video games and just that creative outlet. It's really, I think the good engineers really come from like creative out, people that have creative outlets 
and use that as a form of expression. I know I'm not trying to downplay if anyone's joined, uh, started, didn't play video games and get sparked to do programming, but um, I, from my experience, that's what I've seen. And I know a lot also on the contrary, I know a lot of good engineers who didn't play video games and started becoming engineers, but just learned it maybe after college. Um, but either way, I think it's, it's always cool when you, you have that programming as a creative outlet and there's a bunch of other creative outlets, but playing games also as a creative outlet is really fun as well. So, man, I'm, oh. I'm feeling like playing a halo after this. So <laughs> <laughs> completely, I mean, what's funny is I remember meeting a guy in his, I think he was in his forties and I don't know. Did, have you ever seen the movie hackers from the nineties? No, no, I've seen little clips in here and there, but no. <laughs> I mean, all, all you need to know about it is it's basically like a dramatization of computer hacking. And so I remember he's like, dude, I saw that movie when I was like 15 in high school. And I was like, I'm going to be a computer programmer because he's like, I thought that's how it was. And he's like, and I still enjoy it. And I learned a lot from it. And I do a lot of unique things. He's like, but uh, I will admit I was kind of disappointed when I realized it wasn't that cool and that unique. He's like, it's not like you're like hacking into the mainframe and stuff. And there's all these crazy graphics that come up. He's like, but. He's like, the weird thing is that stuff all exists, but like, it's weird how I've met programmers who are like, I think in 3D for a lot of this stuff, but obviously it's all 2D, how I have to look <laughs> at it, unless I can have a rendering of it, you know, like in Unity or something like that. So uh, when people who are just working in, uh, you know, like web or um, I guess like application where they don't get a, even still like, you know, Facebook's obviously an application and people develop the code and they're like, it's still a 2D it's not, there's no 3D aspect to Facebook. It's like, I'm just looking at yeah. either I created backgrounds, characters, um, organization types, things of that nature. But they're like, I still think of it in this. It's weird. They're like, I always picture it in my head before it comes out. And when it doesn't look high, when I'm like, well, that's weird. Or they're like, oh, cool. This looks exactly how I was picturing it. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Interesting how programmers think and gamers too alike. So that's awesome. No, definitely. So let me ask you one more question then. So. With advancements in AI, are there what future trends or development should gamers and game developers be excited about or prepared for in either traditional or web three gaming? You think? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think so. I guess I'll start off with the first one. What trends should AI developers and gamers be interested in? I would say, I would say for uh, for gamers, uh, let's start off with. Game developers, if is that part of the question? Is game developers is that one of the? Yeah, you could say that. I, yeah, literally, game developers. Trends or development should gamers and game developers, or you could say gamers or game developers, either or. Okay, well, as a as I'm more of a developer than a gamer now, I'll speak on the development side, and I can actually speak on the game side, gamer side too, because I know gamers are going to experience this a lot too. But I think game developers need to get used to, um, I get, get need to get used to unstructured pathways for um, their video games and what i mean by that is uh, sorry guided unstructured pathways is what i would call it um and i'm kind of making this up as i'm saying it but and i'm making it up out of my my you know but i'm trying to tell you guys how i see this going and so the way i see it going is you have today what we talked about those um those pre-written destinies that you have in video games so maybe you have a campaign you're through level one then you progress level two, progress level three, yada, yada, yada. And those are all pre-written by the developer. So whenever AI comes into place, what's going to happen is you're going to have less of these structured levels and progression systems in video games. You're going to have more of an unstructured, uh, a guided unstructured path that uh, can take many 
different routes. And so instead of you going to level one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, well, now you're going to have um, you, you most likely will start to have nearly infinite number of paths that you can take within a video game. I'm speaking mostly for open world type games, so this might not apply to all games, but um, open world games will really be, I think, the coolest spark of this AI, of this AI adventure. Um, so guided unstructured pathways, meaning you can talk with one NPC or you, maybe you can join one environment and the entire environment's influenced by an exponential number of interactions that these other NPCs have with one another. Just like we gave the example earlier where Stanford put a bunch of sim AI bots inside of the same um, town and had them engage for like 20 something days. And they started developing relationships and talking drama about other people and all this other stuff. Um, same things will start to happen in these open world games. You're going to have a lot of unique and different experiences that are not pre-written by the developer themselves. So you'll have more of these unstructured paths that you can take that will be unique to you. And so as game developers, I think game developers should get used to finding a way to, to create the game in a way that is exciting for the player and isn't too unstructured and still has a general goal for the game, but still allows for the creativeness of the individual gamer playing the game to experience their own experiences inside of a world that isn't just a mosh pit of AIs, but more of a, of a collection of these AIs that create these unique experiences, but still uh, cater to the end goal that the developer wants the player to get out of the game. So maybe, um, so maybe just having these, having structured or influencing the gamer to go through certain paths without directly telling them to do so. Just like, kind of like you do in Grand Theft Auto. Like you could take any mission that you want in Grand Theft Auto. No one's telling you you have to. Maybe you want to go into a heist or maybe you want to go, um, maybe you want to go do some good Samaritan work in GTA. Actually, I don't know if they allow you to do that, but <laughs> but maybe you want to go do something in, in that game, no one's telling you to go do it, but you choose to. So if you can make that work with, with actual artificial intelligence, um, guide the player into these unstructured paths that will be influenced by AI, I think you're going to make for one hell of an experience. And I've, we've yet to see anyone do it fully on a, on a grand scale yet. But I think when someone is able to do that, um, that's going to be probably like the game of the year or maybe game of the century. Who knows? No, I would I would totally agree with that. And I would say that the only thing I could it has nothing to do with AI, unfortunately, just in terms of I think the creativity portion was done really well and really right. Um, I don't know if you're if you are a Zelda fan or if you've even if you if you haven't played the new Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, or if you've seen all the stuff training on AI with a lot of the abilities in the game, there's all this creativity and stuff you can do. And what's crazy that people have been really loving is they're like there's no one way to approach a problem or an issue in the game. You can basically do 100, 200, 300 different ways to solve the problem. And people keep popping up on forums or in videos they make being like, oh, this is how I solved it. And somebody else is like, I never would have thought of that. I solved it this way. And somebody else is like, dude, I never would have <laughs> thought of either of those ways. This is how I solved it. And it's just fascinating to see the, like, I feel like Nintendo really hit the nail on the head with that one with understanding they're like, this could go really well or really bad with giving people too much creativity and freedom. But I think they understood that 
people who play games and people, people, I shouldn't even say people who play games. People are naturally creative. You know, if they have a tendency towards it, I think everybody has creativity in them, whether they choose to channel it or not. And I just think they did a really good job. And you're making me think like it'd be fascinating to see with AI integration of that nature. Because again, like you said, with GTA, like, you know, I don't think I ever took the same two routes to the, uh, the same route to the same like place. Like if I was going somewhere, I always went a different way. Like yeah. I, maybe I used the GPS. Maybe I didn't, maybe I was just like, Oh, I know it's over that direction. I'll just like drive over some Hills and stuff and be there in a second or whatever. Um, and you're right. Like missions can be in a different done in a different order besides the main storyline mission. So I think you're right that it'll be a challenge to have this, kind of framework structure to it to still have like it's not guided but this is like from end to end this is like the story of the game and in between there's so many branches of the tree that could you could go so far off from the main story but don't worry you can always come back to it and finish it that way and that's kind of how a lot of open world games are now like i mean you could get so far off on side quests and wandering around mm-hmm. that you're like dude I, i've done two hours of the story and i've done 40 hours of side quests i don't even remember what's going on in the story so i, I agree yeah. with you I, that's that's something I'm really going to be looking forward to. And um, just like you said, the creative freedom and the creativity it'll give the gamer is going to be uh, amazing to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, and to add the last thing I want to add on that, that piece is I think what would be really cool is if, um, if people really want to get crazy is that they allow AI architectures to restructure the, the storyline of the game. Um, as the player progresses so maybe it can create storylines that never would have existed and so these that framework that we discussed actually gets manipulated mid-game to something that the developer never even foresaw of course you got to be careful with that because of yeah i mean we we don't know if the ai can develop it can create some crazy storyline that could be very traumatic or it can be very um, enlightening who knows but you gotta have some constraints in there so that's the only issue with these LLMs is it's a black box and you don't fully know how it creates what the output is depending on the input. So it'd be really interesting. But really interesting to see if um, you can create these AI architects that restructure your entire game mid-game. That would, that's going to be another thing I think developers should highly think about. Um, oh, and as a definitely. gamer, I think, I think as a gamer, you probably need to, I know I spoke on the game developer side, but as a gamer, you're probably going to need to get ready for experiencing video games in um, experiencing video games on a more personal level. I think once you're able to experience a video game on a more personal level, you got to, you're going to have to get used to not just playing a video game and engaging with some bot. That's not going to remember your previous actions. You're going to have to play a video game and understand that your actions are going to have consequences. I think uh, I used to play this old game that used to give you karma and I used to love that game because the more you would actually, it was open world, but the more I would actually uh, attack the public by accident, the more karma I would get. And as you get more karma, you have like this bar of like good, good karma, bad karma. And there's like this middle line. And as you start to lower your karma, the more karma you acquired in the game, the more dark energy you started to surround yourself with, but the different types of powers that came with it. So I used to love switching some of my karma um, in mid video games. So sometimes I get really bad karma. I start having black lightning, but now I can like fly. And so, um, I think one of the coolest things is having, having the ability as a gamer to have more influence on a video game than you normally would. I think, um, gamers should definitely prepare for that. 
and posting their opinions online and letting the developers know what they like about it and what they don't, just so that way we can create a more, uh, I would say a, a more well-rounded video game experience overall until we have that ready player one or even better experience that we haven't seen yet. Definitely. No, definitely. And the last thing I'll say is, uh, I think you're right about it changing. I could see gamers getting in a huff over uh, it changing the storyline. So it'll probably have to be something like you opt in to allow the storyline to go crazy. You're like, no, I opt out. I want the base development experience because some people I could see being all whatever about that. <laughs> I would be all for it. I probably would do a full first playthrough of just the base story. And then I'd be like, yeah, I want to see what this can do, the experiments it can give me, uh, how it's going to change the story. Um, I just think it'd be cool to experience. But I also use like ai every day so like I'm, I'm a big fan of it obviously until it either takes us all over <laughs> something crazy which i hope i don't admit, i don't imagine happening but i guess we'll see but uh i don't want to take up any more of your time noel i i just want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me talk with my audience uh you gave a lot of amazing info on ai that i think people are really going to love to hear especially how it relates to gaming man awesome no i appreciate it man uh it was good Good talking about, about all this stuff, man. I haven't talked about this. I don't think uh, gaming and AI and this much depth yet with um, someone online. So this is really cool. Hopefully your audience finds it uh, somewhat informing. Uh, I wish I could probably, I should have spoke more on the uh, Web3 side and how developers should prepare for Web3 in, integrations and tokenomics. I know we, I was so focused. I got too focused on the AI side, but uh, maybe another time. But yeah. Uh, definitely definitely. if i'm going to leave on one more note sure i just want to say one more thing so if you are a developer and you're going to integrate tokens into your video game i'd say just uh do some research on what failed with a lot of other uh video games that that tried integrating uh i'd say tokenomic systems one of the biggest things is supply and demand you got to have a basic understanding of economics to be able to actually create a sustainable tokenomic system and so I think one of the biggest things is understanding how sync systems work in video games and um, sync systems, meaning, uh, meaning how do you deplete currency from your, uh, from your liquidity pool effectively without draining your entire liquidity pool. So usually whenever you have a token, you have to throw some actual currency that's backed by another currency and you're going to need a sync system which means you can think of as a sink. Whenever you turn on a sink, it drips water. You're going to need to think of a sink system that can slowly pour out your currency to the players without turning that knob all the way so that way you don't empty out your entire uh, currency system. Look up sink systems. It's a very interesting uh, concept of, of uh, in tokenomics. I would definitely say just keep an eye out for that. I want to just leave at least one gem for people that are trying to develop um, tokens into their video games. Look up sync systems. I think that'll solve a lot of your problems. No, I, I think they'll definitely appreciate that. And once again, Noel, I appreciate you being on Talk With Me. I think it was a great time. I'd love to have you on again in the future. Yeah, man. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. I love being here, man. Uh, appreciate you too. Well, friends, that's another episode down. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate you rating it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can rate and wherever you listen to and get your podcast. It would mean the world to us and help get this podcast to people who truly are involved in Web3 gaming, blockchain, and cryptocurrency and want to learn more and stay on top of these emerging technologies. If you have any queries, want to reach out about any collaborations or advertisements, as well as want to reach out with any improvements you think we could make on the podcast, please email us at theweb3gamer 
at proton.me. We would love to hear from you and take every response very seriously. Take care and keep gaming, my friends.